and welcome to Talking Tropes. Would you like to take the red pill or the blue pill? I'm the blue pill, Hannah. <laughs> I'm the red pill, uh, alpha male, David. <laughs> Excuse me, I'm I'm Sigma woman, Hannah. <laughs> right, the blue pill is Sigma. Um, <laughs> that's the true because. Today we're talking about The Matrix, not just The Matrix, the film series, but uh, the idea of The Matrix, the trope of The Matrix, yes. um, which a lot of people refer to now in the Silicon Valley world and increasingly in the fiction world as the metaverse. Um, and we're going to explore a little bit of the origins of that, but focus mainly on the monster that it has become uh, in, in recent years. Uh, and I think that starting off talking about alpha males and beta males ties into <laughs> the the film that we just watched, The Matrix Resurrections, because a major plot point is that uh, Neo really wants to cuck this alpha guy named Chad uh, by getting with <laughs> Tiffany, uh, who is actually Trinity. So, so the the subtext of... I guess getting red pilled did somehow make its way into this movie. Um, oh yeah, this you know, twenty this, years after the original. This movie <laughs> is very much in conversation with the the discourse the discourse <laughs> that has surrounded the Matrix since coming out and the internet increasing uh, in its global hegemonic influence. Uh, <laughs> however. <laughs> What this movie has to say about any of that is not particularly interesting. Right. It's well, it is it's very self-aware, <laughs> like the programs that inhabit the Matrix. They've all become self-aware and are so meta in their references to this being an unasked for, unnecessary fourth movie in the franchise that it almost becomes unwatchable for that first, you know hour of the movie. I, I would where... say it remains pretty unwatchable. Um, <laughs> it it right. doesn't get much better. Uh, well, of course, like, there's a knowledge that everybody remembers certain things about the first Matrix, but no one remembers the actual plot of the second or third Matrix. <laughs> so when they're reintroducing characters like the Merovingian and Sati and mm. like every, they have to re-explain like who they are yeah. briefly because no one remembers what <laughs> happened in my, Revolutions. My mom was asking if, if she could watch this movie if she didn't remember really anything from The Matrix. And I said, oh yeah, no problem. No one remembers anything from The Matrix. And this movie is aware of that. <laughs> right. And yet it still like banks on you know being a direct continuation of the story because that's mm -hmm. what people ostensibly want. But it, they lampshade that in the big boardroom scene, which I think mm -hmm. is, like, the standout scene of the movie, where it's the brainstorming session of, <laughs> of, uh, you know, uh, John Anderson. Thomas. Thomas Anderson, sorry. Uh, who is played by Keanu Reeves, who is supposedly the creator of the video game franchise, The Matrix. Mm -hmm. Um, which he based on his real life, which is why he gets confused as to whether it really happened or not. Mm -hmm. And they're in the boardroom discussing, what does it mean to make a new Matrix? And so it's a bunch of people. I think Freema Aguman was there. She was. Um, <laughs> That's from Doctor Who. <laughs> and Sense8. Like, that is... Well, okay. We'll get there. <laughs> All the Sense8 references that I won't get because I didn't watch it. Um, <laughs> but the, they're all, like, pitching and they're, like... You know what the Matrix is? It's an allegory for you know trans identity. It's uh, you know it's it's an anti-capitalist film. It's this. It's that. Mm -hmm. And by listing all those things, obviously what they're saying is, sure you can interpret it that way. But the Matrix in reality is none of those things. It's a real story of something that really happened mm -hmm. to to Thomas Anderson. <laughs> So is it saying, like, we can't interpret this masterpiece? It goes beyond interpretation? Or, you know, what is it saying? I I think it's 
it's trying to avoid saying anything, you know? I think it's trying to be like, the Matrix is whatever it was to you, man, you know? It can can be all of these things simultaneously, which, you know, I don't think is the worst take you can have for a piece of media. I think that's true, you know? Like, media is multifaceted, and it is about having a conversation with the, the viewer or reader or what have you. Um, Right, but it's seen as kind of like a crass thing that they have the creator in there and they're all trying to explain to the creator what the creation means, including reducing it to simply being an action movie about bullet time. Right. You know? Well, or, right, right. Um, And it's also during this moment where in the movie, you know, Keanu is supposed to be, or Neo or whoever is supposed to be sort of coming to realize the loops that he lives out day after day after day, you know? Yeah. Um, and to sort of... Represented like, by him constantly taking blue pills. Right. You know, which are his psychiatric medication. Right. So it's it's not exactly a pro, uh, <laughs> pro-psychiatry film. Yeah. The big villain, spoilers, is Neil Patrick Harris. <laughs> Who's the analyst. Yeah, the analyst. So it's a doubling of the meaning again. Yeah. But, oh man. (laughs) He's his analyst, his psychoanalyst, and he's also the person who analyzes human output (laughs) in the Matrix. (laughs) Right. It's it's very strange and and convoluted. Um, But this, this boardroom scene where... Or this brainstorming scene... Um, it, it just feels so empty and it's supposed to, (laughs) you know, it's a, it's, would you say it's a, a simulacra or a simulation? (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's supposed, yes, I, it's a simulation and sort of distillation of 20 years of discourse that have gone on around these films, you know? Right. And also of what it was probably really like for Lana Wachowski to sit in this boardroom <laughs> and be forced to pitch a film that she specifically said, I will never make this film. Right. <laughs> right. Um, and, you know, and the movie is, like, meta in that, you know, Keanu's character is being told by Warner Brothers that you have to make this game or right. we'll do it and without you. And the specific you. choice for it to be Warner Brothers. Right. Which leads to the main reason for making this podcast, and I, I, I said I would hold off longer, but th- I have can't. to say it. This is my big, all right, truth bomb here, everybody. <laughs> the Matrix Resurrections takes place within the Space Jam universe. I've just said it. It's th- that's facts. Okay. <laughs> See, you you <laughs> first pitched this idea to me before. Before Resurrections came out, which is what yeah. makes it such a legit pitch. Yeah. You know? And I because was kind of like... the end... Sorry, I, go ahead. I was kind of like, okay, like, maybe. Like, sure, why not? Like, the Space Jam 2 universe is, like, just weird enough that it could probably include this. And then the movie came out. And, like, the new, like, character that they insert is literally... Bugs Bunny. Bugs Bunny. Like, Bugs Bunny. Played by, what's the name of the actress? I don't know. Sensei, right? No, she's not. I don't think so. Oh, okay. Never mind. Okay. Okay. Played by Jessica Henwick. Uh, She is, you know, the blue haired. She's twinky, millennial, queer Bugs Bunny. Which is all things that Bugs Bunny has always been, even uh, (laughs) even before the new millennium. Um, (laughs) But. But it is Bugs Bunny. She refers to herself as Bugs Bunny. Yeah. Um, if you go back to our Space Jams episode, you will recall that at the end I say that Bugs Bunny exists in the real world with LeBron James. But he can't because he is simply a product owned by Warner Brothers that lives in their serververse. They're the Space Jam metaverse, basically. Which is a virtual reality world that people can enter that contains all of the intellectual property of Warner Brothers. So that means if LeBron James really did leave that serververse, 
Bugs Bunny cannot appear there because he has no physical presence. He doesn't live in Toontown. So then in this film, we see a character named Bugs Bunny in a virtual world in the Matrix. Yeah. And we find out that the Matrix is a property in the universe owned by Warner Brothers. Yes. The same company that owns Bugs Bunny. Therefore, there can be no argument. This is absolutely canon. Keanu Reeves <laughs> is a product within the serververse of the Space Jam film. That's that's just fact. Yep. yep. I think I had it backwards in my original pitch where I said the entirety of Space Jam takes place within the Matrix. No, 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 no. Yeah, it's the other way around. It's definitely the other way around that the Matrix is entirely within the serververse. Yeah. Um, which is which is pretty freaky. Well, honestly, it helps make sense of what the fuck even happened in this movie, which, again, <laughs> made no sense, but it's fine. Right. It was um, just a pitch from Don Cheadle, a.k.a. Al G. Rhythm, <laughs> for a cheap ploy to make use of an existing IP, which is exactly what he was trying to do when he tried yeah. to get LeBron James to be in his new Space Jam movie. So, I mean... We talked about the serververse being this kind of representation of what they want to pitch to Silicon Valley, essentially. Like, Warner Brothers is saying to Silicon Valley, like, we're metaverse friendly over here. We want you to make NFTs of our stuff, and we want you to build a virtual reality world for people to purchase Warner Brothers IP in. Which is why Warner Brothers also made Ready Player One, and is making these Matrix films, and incorporated the metaverse even into something as sacred as Space Jam. So I think there's definitely some, like, industry-related stuff they're trying to say to Silicon Valley, like, we believe in virtual reality as a way to make money. <laughs> what are you looking at? Oh, sorry. I'm just trying to see the exact number of Sense8 people. <laughs> and, uh, because I think it's more than I thought. I counted like six, but some of these are saying there's more than that. If there's a specific number of Sense Eight actors in in sorry in the Matrix Resurrections, uh, and it's not eight, then I don't know what we're doing here. Maybe one got cut out. Yeah, I think it's just seven. That's terrible. That's <laughs> well, it's not even. Happen. Here's the thing: it's not even like all of the main characters from no, the show. No, it it's like. Two main characters. Yeah. And, like, a bunch of supporting people. And the only two yeah. main characters who, like, really have any presence in the movie are the two white dudes. <laughs> Which is <laughs> very funny to me. Anyway. Sorry. This was such a rabbit hole. Yeah. Um, I mean, not that the rabbit hole isn't super <laughs> relevant to all <of> this. <laughs> literally Sorry. rabbits and literally... <laughs> The line, you've gone down the rabbit hole, Neo. Yeah. Um, what? what I'm sorry, what's the last thing you were talking about? I was talking about pitching to, to Silicon Valley. Like, the fact that Warner yes. Brothers has these three properties that are unrelated in every other way, except for they contain tons of Warner Brothers IP. Yeah. You know, Ready Player One and Space Jam two are just chock full of Warner Brothers being like, and Fred Flintstone and, I don't know, uh, Iron Giant, who gives a shit? <laughs> like, just putting random <laughs> characters and things that they own in there. Right, uh, right. For nostalgia bait. Right, and, and so, I, I think this nostalgia bait is um, I, so so sort of in preparation <laughs> for this yeah. this episode, you suggested that we sort of do a mini dive into uh, Jean Baudrillard. I'm hoping I'm yeah. pronouncing that anywhere near It's that. pronounced more Frenchly than that, but we can't Jean Baudrillard. Jean Baudrillard. Jean Baudrillard. But his idea of uh, simulation and simulacra, which is in fact referenced in the first Matrix movie, um, yeah. and was definitely an ideology that was or philosophy that was uh, considered when when making the original franchise. Um, right. 
Um, yeah, Baudrillard is a, a, a semiotician. He's a postmodernist. He's a mm-hmm. post-structuralist thinker. Um, you know, he was basically trying to take a lot of Marxist ideas and apply them to post-structuralism and to semiotics, which mm-hmm. is the study of signs. And so he came up with all these ideas, like the domination of objects over the subject, the um, hyperreality, um, you know, which is used in a lot of studies of like reality TV and like everything that presents a heightened version of reality, um, mm-hmm. and uh, and also represents the bleeding of virtuality into reality. But one of the things that he wrote about was about systems cybernetics you know the idea of um large intelligent systems coming to represent simulations of actual human behavior and then our human behavior becoming more like the simulations until the line between them is basically blurred Mm -hmm. and and these sort of simulated uh simulated structures shaping human reality in turn. Right. And I I can think of no better example of this than The Matrix and Ready Player One serving as the model for building a real-life metaverse. (laughs) (laughs) You know? So not only are we using fictionalized media, you know, which is itself a simulacrum, a sign that refers to no particular real life signified Mm -hmm. uh and we're using that to build something in reality that is a virtual world that is a simulation of our real world right but with a bunch of shops and you know things based on fictionalized media (laughs) right where you know commerce is now the medium of the simulacra right like it's it's existing to facilitate trade which in itself right. is this abstraction from reality to begin with right. so we're you simulating know, capitalism <laughs> in a virtual space the space is supposed to be a representation or like a sign a signifier of like an urban setting right but right. it's also full of these you know simulacra of you know like, why in a virtual space would you need to walk around to get to a store, you know, right. when you can just click? Like, <laughs> it's all these, like, trying to get the essence of reality into the simulation, but not, you know, not not really getting through to that in any way. Because when I look at, like, the ads for Facebook's metaverse, mm-hmm. which is now their whole branding is as a metaverse company, mm-hmm. it just seems like... This is like a Zoom meeting, but with me's from the original Nintendo Wii. <laughs> like, like, this is nothing. Right. But people go for it because it's representing their imagination of what a metaverse would look like based on the science fiction they've read and the science fiction movies that they've watched. Right. And there was... Um... There was someone who was commenting on Baudrillard and his ideas and talking about how sort of the... Like, he was very pessimistic about the future and about, Uh like, simulation. um, And how this simulation seemed to, like, (laughs) inherently, like, rob something of, like, our... I don't want to say humanity, but, like, our ability to uh, imagine. That's what it is. Our ability Mm -hmm. to imagine any other future or imagine, like, a way out of the I mean, this is, like, a big part of post-structuralism in general, as I understand it. I mean, I'm not a philosopher, and and I suck (laughs) at reading. But my understanding is, like, all post-structuralism is about, like, looking at the way that we analyze media and saying even that is coded with all of these preconceptions and all of these structures because we really aren't able to imagine anything. We can only imagine things within the very small parameters of the social upbringing that we're in. Um, Sort of like explaining why, you know, why didn't people come up with the Enlightenment 
back in, you know, 200 BC? Well, because you can't imagine anything. You can only imagine things that your society raises you to imagine. Mm -hmm. And right now, our society is governed entirely by these mediated, like, fictional representations of imagined futures. Mm -hmm. So the only futures we can imagine are ones that are in our stupid television set. And, like... (laughs) And and it just creates these you know, real-life capitalists and innovators, quote-unquote, right. who just want to make just want to make a world of hyper-capitalism and cryptocurrency. Right, exactly. It's, and it's, nothing else. It's, it's like an Ouroboros, you know? It's, it's yeah. the never-ending cycle that just keeps eating its own tail and creating right. more of itself. Um, no, and- it is rotting my brain. I can't I can't live anymore. I can't sleep. I can't eat because I keep thinking about like the Spider-Man eco-friendly NFTs and like oh my God. that AMC is selling and like what is that? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, There's I no like... such thing as an eco-friendly NFT. They're just different levels of eco-terrorism. <laughs> not ter- well, not eco-terrorism, but you know, eco harm. No, I agree. I think I think the real eco terrorists are the NFTs and the, the oil people terrorizing the ecosystem. In, right, right. People fighting for climate justice should not be called eco terrorists. <laughs> yeah, yeah. we're reclaiming it. <laughs> we're reclaiming it. <laughs> um, sorry. I just I know I'm gonna like go off on more tangents like that, but. No, that was great. I love that. <laughs> that's, like, that's what this movie is. Like, that is... Right. This movie has no point, you know? It is... <laughs> the point of this movie is to... It's like a it, big NFT. <laughs> right. And, you know, like, bless Lana Wachowski, or Wachowski. Um, yeah. But, like, you know, the ending of this movie tries to be like, we're the queers, we're here, and yes. we've won. Like, and, and it just doesn't work because there's no character arcs in this movie, you know, like it's just all plot. There's no character, you know? Right. Well, in the original, it was also uh, very much about that. I mean, I I rewatched, um, the, you know, the original matrix and then, um, reloaded, uh, and they're, they're, they're definitely both centered around like the idea that everyone's just kind of filling their roles, you know? (laughs) Everyone's just doing what they're being told to do, but that's part of the story. So, like, the second one questions that Chosen One narrative a little bit by saying, like, yes, the Oracle, this character who knows everything that's going to happen, created the One as a sort of release valve on the pressure of people who would want to escape the system, so Mm -hmm. that not too many people would escape the system. Eventually they would wipe wipe them out, you know, kill anybody who escapes. Right. And, and then the cycle would have continue. have the one be in charge of resetting and mm-hmm. setting up the process of a new Zion again. But I don't know, it's a little bit hard for me to believe that when like this movie just has them kill Zion for the sixth time, which was the whole thing we were trying to prevent in the previous movie. Right. But it happened in a different context, David. So, <laughs> right. so now it's Because now there's there's love between man and machine, right? Yeah. Between humankind and yeah. synthoid synthesoid. Which which to kind? me <laughs> it, yeah, I don't know exactly what this new word is. Synthians. Synthians, there have, we go. They're sentient synthetic beings. Synthians. Yeah. Um Yeah, where you know, I do sort of appreciate this idea of you know changing what our side means um but i don't know that it's developed fully enough in also it's not really a novel concept i mean we had good programs in the last two movies i mean oracle was always on their side Mm. you know like she was part of the system but she was on their side Mm -hmm. you know she never does anything to actively harm their cause that was like the whole point no i I, at least i don't it's been so long (laughs) it's it's a hard movie to understand also but like the idea is like in reloaded oracle tells 
Neo that his whole destiny is that he's got to go meet the architect, basically. Mm-hmm. Doesn't really tell him that that's what it's for, but, you know. And then the architect tells him, look, the Oracle, she was, like, my co-producer on this project called The Matrix. Right. You know? I'm the executive producer, she's my co-producer. And... We put together this whole narrative that we think is pretty cool about the one <laughs> and Zion and, you know, somebody pulls out the one and then the one is chosen by the Oracle who then resets the whole thing. Um, but the Oracle was never, like, trying to stop Neo from accomplishing the goals that he set out to do, which is to free people and save Zion, all those things she helps him do. Mm-hmm. And then she says, like, I paid the price by being recast as a different actress in the third one. <laughs> um, and then she gets eaten by Smith, but other than that, she doesn't do anything negatively to harm Neo in any way. I guess. But so, like, so that's the thing, right? So, like, we've always had that aspect of, like, humans working with machines, humans reliant on machines for survival. Mm -hmm. But, you know, like, when we become too reliant on them, that's a form of control. It's always, like, been part of the themes of of the Matrix. Mm -hmm. And, like, they're very, you know, Baudrillardian kind of themes. Uh, You know, the idea that, like, systems that humans created can control humans. Right, right. And I mean, I think that's something that has become a bigger conversation uh, lately, too, in the capital D discourse. Uh, You know, this this idea that, you know, um, know, just relying on a program to defeat bias doesn't work because people create programs that are inherently biased or feed it information to learn off of that is biased and that, you know, there, this idea that we can eliminate the subject, that that we can eliminate the subjectivity of the human experience through like synthetic programs, you know, is, is something that's possible when at least right now it's not. Right. It's, you know, why are the, all the programs, why do they all have races and genders you know, we programmed them to do that in the Matrix, even. Right. You know, even these things that just look like big squids, <laughs> they all are like in the back of their heads are thinking, like, I am a black woman. <laughs> I am a white man with sunglasses. I am <laughs> like, a she, they. Fuck off. <laughs> they all have identities that are based yeah. on our framework of what identity is. Um, right. Well, and part is, of that you know, is supposed to be because the Matrix evolved from something that was originally created by humans, right? You know? Right. No, but I think it's I think it's true of all like future technological, uh, you know, progress is that it is all going to be baked in there some way or another, unless we you know actively seek to remove it. Which is even then, that's something that you're making a choice to do that. So that makes yeah. me think about Ready Player One, where the themes are all about, you know, transhumanism escaping the body and, like, changing what you look like, but they're always, like, obsessed with the reality of, you could be a 300-pound dude who lives with his mother. I think that's a line that H says or something. Mm-hmm. Um, I I have not watched or read Ready Player One, so I'm a right. little bit out of my depth, but I feel like, you know, culturally, I've received enough osmosis. Yeah. Um, I've, I've been involved in the discourse a little. Right. That I haven't I, read I the book, sense. but I, I watched the film, which I know is different. But there's a, a heavy emphasis in the film about, you know, like what people really look like versus mm-hmm. what their avatar is. You well, know, and I think that is... The that's real obs- self and the virtual self. Right. That's That's such an obsession of people and an error rather than an obsession i think it's an anxiety that uh-huh. modern life has sort of created in us and uh-huh. that the media likes to reinforce you know right. this idea that there is a real authentic self and that you know displaying different or, or changing different aspects of that quote-unquote real self um is considered dishonest but you know where people draw that line 
is right. really different and in what context people consider that to be appropriate or inappropriate are wildly different, you know? Right. Um, but I think it's it definitely speaks to, like, the Baudrillardian, you know, thing of, of simulacrum and hyperreality and all these things mm-hmm. in regards to romance because the main character, Wade, uh, falls in love with Artemis, mm-hmm. um, which is her screen name. And she's, like, a fully virtual character who looks kind of like a fish person. Just because right. her eyes are so huge. She kind of looks like Battle yeah. Angel Alita. Um, oh, God, I can't with either of those. <laughs> it's so uncomfortable. It's so uncanny valley for me. <laughs> um, but he falls in love with her before, like, really getting to know her as a person either. But just, like, watching her Twitch streams... Right. It's a very parasocial relationship. But also, like, no idea what she looks like. Mm -hmm. And then he he meets her in real life. And, you know, she has, um, I forget what the name of the, um, the birthmark is, but like those red, like a, um, like a wine colored. Oh, uh, port wine? Port. Yeah. Yeah. A a port wine stain sort of thing on her face. Mm -hmm. Um. But otherwise is, like, a perfectly attractive person who's the same age as him. Right. Like, like a, like a, an attractive girl that's the same age as him. And right. then so it's like, I'm not disappointed yeah. meeting you in real life. Yeah. Um, and it's like, yeah, of course you're not. <laughs> she's, she's exactly <laughs> she's who she hot. represented herself as being. Right, <laughs> Just exactly. not with big fish eyes. Um <laughs> And then um, at the end of the movie, because the whole movie is about how the creator of the Oasis, this virtual reality world, never kissed a girl or something. <laughs> like, he he wasted his life in fantasy and gaming and, mm-hmm. you know, never touched grass and never, you know, met a girl IRL and kissed her. <laughs> and so at the end of the movie, he's like, I'm not going to be like the creator of the Oasis. I'm going to kiss a girl. And he does it while he's still hooked into this, like, this bodysuit that lifts him up in the air. So it's like, even when he's kissing someone in real life, he's doing it like a movie, you know? Like, he's doing it dramatic and big and, you know, like he saw in Ferris Bueller or something. I don't know. Some stupid movie from the 80s. Right, right. And I mean, exactly. So, like, so much of our learned social behaviors come from these sort of inherited stories from Hollywood, you know? So if the idea is that the, the Oasis is bad because it's not real. mm -hmm. Well, when he gets back into the real world, nothing is more real. Like, right. There are the same economic consequences for like, not making money like you can starve both in the oasis and in real life (laughs) right (laughs) and corporations still run everything you do both in the game and in real life Mm -hmm. and you live in this like these stacks of trailers um that they call the stacks like poverty exists but it's like a hyper real fictional version of poverty right and and it's named after literally, like, the stacks is what they call server rooms, is it not? Like, Oh, okay, I didn't realize that connection. Yeah, um, like, the stacks of a library, the stacks yeah. of the servers. Right, you know? right. Um, so, yeah, it's like, when he leaves the Oasis, he's no less in a virtual world, a mediated right. space. All of his experience mm-hmm. of the world is still mediated, mm-hmm. and all of his, like, shopping is done online, you know? It right. arrives in real life but it's done online. Mm-hmm. And so it's just like, so what is the purpose? Because he takes over the Oasis and reforms it to be a better version of the Oasis, one that's less harmful to the world. And his solution is, in the film, uh, Tuesdays and Thursdays we shut down the Oasis. So you have to <laughs> experience reality. And it's like, no, Baudrillard would say, that reality is no less virtual than the oasis it is still just as mediated still Mm -hmm. just as simulated as uh, as the the simulation the the underlying structures are remaining the same and right you know this sort of requirement to think of ourselves and conceptualize ourselves through this sort of mediated lens is what is you know part of the simulation right 
Right. And so I think, but I think that's like the pitch, right? Like that's the goal of the companies is to say, look, virtual reality. There's no fighting this. Virtual reality (laughs) is going to be a part of the world. It's just inevitable. Like that's their version of science fiction is just like techno determinism, Mm -hmm. not techno optimism or techno pessimism because they're Mm -hmm. just like, well, you know. The world will either be good or bad, but it will be this way. <laughs> but it will be technical. Yeah, it will be this technology specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess, uh, yeah, I guess, I guess yeah. there's no fighting it. But, but I'd like to try. I'd like to be a part of whatever revolutions the the Wachowskis have pitched. Um, you know, so. If anybody wants to put on leather and meet me in the parking lot wearing sunglasses, I'll do it. I think that's the frustrating part of, you know, sort of the quote-unquote, like, queer messaging of uh, Resurrections. Is that, you know, they're like, yeah, we will rainbow this capitalism. Yeah. And it's like... We're going to put rainbows all over this heavily corporate product. (laughs) Right. And it's like... (laughs) <laughs> like I get it. You're trying to to gild the turd. You're doing right. you're doing your best, but it is still that underlying thing that is the right. problem. It is still the structure. It is the fact that this demanded to be made. It is the fact that, you know, th- there is not a a purpose to this film except to signify the things that we used to love. Like, right. you know, the purpose is to get you to fire serotonin receptors when you go, ooh, thing I like, thing I like, you know, <laughs> like that, that is yeah. it. And that's true with the serververse, that's true with the metaverse, it's true right. with... They're with all what... empty signifiers. Yeah, They're all empty exactly. signs referring to nothing, like Disneyland, right. like any corporate IP. Mm-hmm. It's a sign that represents a thing you remember, but that's it. Yeah. You know the right, the, which is why these a lot of these big modern franchises feel so lacking in um, in not ideology necessarily, but like no, anything to right. say. I think you know? you're right. They they are they have an ideology with them, which is the yeah. ideology of the overarching. You know the corporatism, um, <laughs> the base and the superstructure. It's the you know capitalist ideology, but right, you know. It's not following any grand narrative. It's not mm-hmm. it's not part of a larger, you know, story about how you should live your life and how right. you should identify yourself and how you should be with people. It's just mm-hmm. like love, romance, Hollywood, freedom, truth, these kind of ideals mm-hmm. in the form of an easily consumable narrative. Right. Um, but then, again, without any of that that introspection and like character, you know, like there's, there's not a lot to really like sink your teeth into, which is why I feel like so many. Trinity and Neo really love each other a lot. Yeah. They power the matrix. Powerful enough to shake mountains (laughs) and power the matrix and power the matrix by themselves, which I, I, yeah. At a certain point, I just was like, everything you're saying, Neil Patrick Harris, I do not care, and it doesn't make sense. It doesn't but, make any sense. But that's beside the point, because it doesn't have to, you know? No. Like, we turned our brains off for the first Matrix, didn't we? I mean, <laughs> I did, and I enjoyed the hell out of it. Um, right. But but I think what was... I, I think also part of the frustration, and I'm sure part of the frustration that, like, Lana Wachowski felt making this unasked for sequel um, is that like there is no originality you know not that like the Matrix was wholly original or anything to begin with like it was very much drawing on other sources but it was combining those sources in a way that seemed novel right where is all of the like new anime stuff you know, right. has has Lana just not watched any good anime like since <laughs> since 1999? I mean, not that there's been a ton of good new anime in the well in that since time, 1999, but... yes, but <laughs> but you're right. There, I I mean, 
But, like, yeah, I mean, all of this stuff, like, if you trace a lot of the influences of the Matrix, like, if we were to do a full semiotic analysis of the Matrix, you would find that, yeah, it is just a bunch of signs and signifiers of things that, you know, the Wachowskis thought were cool. Ghosts in the Shell Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, uh, definitely uh, Neuromancer, Mm -hmm. uh, the William Gibson novel that coined the term the Matrix and the term cyberspace and you know yeah. invented <laughs> invented the idea of going into the internet with your brain plugging in a little yeah. jack into the back of somebody's head and going yeah. and then finding <laughs> all the information in computers because the internet was not what it is today which is right. almost like a physical space mm-hmm. but the idea of envisioning it as a physical space was novel. something that was novel but then, you know, the, the Wachowskis made The Matrix, and now that has supplanted Neuromancer as, like, the popular imagination of a virtual reality. Right, because, you know, images hold more power within yeah. our Nobody society. remembers Johnny Mnemonic. <laughs> Does anybody, anybody I, know what I'm talking I, about? I feel like people remember Johnny Mnemonic. <laughs> well, it was, what was it, 1994, 1995, something like that? I guess. With Keanu Reeves. Yeah. Also, plugging wires into his head and jacking into the Matrix. Like, <laughs> five years before, before this movie the comes Matrix. out. Right. And yet, it's like a totally different universe. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a lot more like classic cyberpunk, I guess. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you know, like, people will sometimes try to bring up Tron, but, like, right. Tron is is less... Well, it comes from a different time before cyberpunk as a genre really existed. Right. This sort of idea of connectivity, I think, right. is missing Well, it was more Tron. of, like, a toy story for computers, you know? Like, it <laughs> right. was... What is your calculator thinking? You know, like maybe right, it thinks um, its job is to add things up day in and day out, and then <laughs> and then maybe it goes home to its calculator wife and says, "Ah, man, I had a rough day today. A lot of a lot of divide by zero errors." <laughs> <laughs> you know, what if the programs right. that run your video games like to play those video games? <laughs> Right, or had feelings about the video right. games and got mad at you or right. died. It's just when proto Wreck-It Ralph. Right, exactly, exactly. And then, but, you know, but that's Ralph Tron. Breaks- that's what the '80s thought computer worlds would. What a cyberspace would be like. The grid. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. that's a great representation of how the '80s thought of computers. Even though it was right. kind of like a weird cult classicy Disney uh, thing. No, but I think, I mean, I think you're 100% correct. Like, I, I don't know if, you know, it it defined, like, I don't think it was the definition for people, but I think <clears throat> it distilled what right. definitions there were into At least visually, coherent. it created a visual right. language for yes. describing a cyberspace, which right. you can see in Johnny Mnemonic later. Right. Or even in, like, the streaming code of the yeah, Matrix. exactly, um, exactly. You know, it's what computer world looks like. Right, and I mean, I think we even see that, like, you know, to sort of jump back to anime for a second, like, in yeah. Digimon. You know, something right. like Digimon is, like, so inspired by, like, that sort of, like, okay, let's take bits of code and fly <laughs> yeah. it around, and, like, yeah. that's that's what sort of... It's the molecules that make up the, digi the digital world. world. Yeah. Let's all think of what the digital space, cyberspace would be and imagine mm-hmm. it. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, I, and like Tron lines, that's a, um, that's a TV mm-hmm. trope on right. tvtropes.com. <laughs> like <laughs> wherever you're going into a virtual space, you'll see Tron lines everywhere because it looks really futuristic-y right. and computer-y. Right, right. I mean, I think even within Digimon, they're they're not exactly Tron lines specifically, yeah. but they are those like crisscrossing like yeah. streets with the sort of um, yeah. you know that very motherboard sort yes. of designing. Right. Uh, yeah, <laughs> right. yeah, and and you know it's it's reinterpreting a visual language that exists in quote unquote our actual reality. You yeah. know the the way a computer motherboard actually looks right. and translating that into a, a visual space. 
visual right. virtual space and then the way that that is then translated in media that comes after you know and, and then to be translated and, and the, retranslated and then this is to me the real mind fuck is that when we actually do get full vr metaverse mm-hmm. if you think there won't be tron lines somewhere <laughs> in that thing there's it will be there in some right. form somewhere i either you go to like a world that's like 80s world and it looks like that or you know it's like it's all these signifiers of you know all these simulacra of of old media representations mm-hmm. of vr mm-hmm. that's that's what it's going to be you know when you mm-hmm. look at those ads that that um <laughs> that facebook has put out they they make the world's look like the 80s view of what vr would be like they look like right. a lot more man <laughs> Right, because again, we're we're captured and stuck in recreating this pre-imagined idea, you know, right. and and we're unable to imagine, uh, you know, a future. Which I don't, I don't necessarily agree with. I think that you think um, we can break out of our 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 social uh, upbringing. And imagine yes, something and beyond it. I think I think it's. I don't know to what extent. Yes, but I'm I'm too much of an optimist to. Better to, things aren't possible, Hannah. Yeah, like I. That's the I, Democratic I, Party platform. <laughs> um, um, God. So. There was one thing, uh, I was reading this book, um, I thought it was a very interesting, like, chapter I was reading from this book called Reality Media, Augmented and Virtual Reality by uh, Bolter, Engberg, and McIntyre, and it was this, um, they they had a couple chapters, one was, like, the myth of total AR, and the other was the myth of total VR, and Mm. it got me thinking about... In all of our media representations of virtual reality, it's always like there's one company that owns the rights to everything. And that takes over everyone's lives and everyone's a user and only a few people are like not users and they're socially stigmatized, right? Mm -hmm. So that's in Neuromancer, that's in Snow Crash, which coined the term metaverse. That's in... um, I mean, I'm just thinking about Black Mirror. You know, yeah, Black like Mirror going back also. to Black Mirror, like the, I, I forget the names of all of them the at this point, but, yeah. uh, well, not just the companies, oh, the but episodes. like the episode titles, the one with, uh, you know, the rating app, you know, like the people yeah. who don't participate in the rating app right. are like, It's a problem of all outcasts. sci-fi, even ones that don't yeah. have to do with VR, but VR and AR are specifically like the ones who do this a lot, but or I the think... Oasis in Ready Player One it's one company. There are no competing VR companies. There's yeah. no one else who can even come close to them. And it's basically like self-sustaining. Like the guy yeah. who created it dies and mm-hmm. leaves behind like all of his shares to like whoever wants it. And no one in the company like tries to make a power grab for it. It's only people outside of the company because the company and the Oasis itself, they're self-sustaining. They're they're not no human hands actually touch the oasis and deliver updates and change rules balance patches none of that it's Mm self-sustaining entirely Mm -hmm. like the matrix which is entirely run by machines so it's an interesting thing like the the total vr and i Mm -hmm. think that's why it's so you know it's such a goal for tech companies because they think if there's if there's vr Everyone's going to be in it. No one's going to not be in it. And I'm going to make money off of every transaction in it. Right, exactly. And if we can get it to a point where I don't need half the programmers I have currently doing these things because I can program a program to program. Right, that's why AI is so important right. to it. But also right. NFTs are so important to it because they imagine total VR eclipsing real capitalism, which is the plot right. of Snow Crash where... Instead of, you know, dollars, everyone uses trillion dollar bills or quadrillion dollar bills Mm -hmm. because the U.S. dollar has been decimated by crypto. You know, Mm -hmm. that's why people are obsessed with the specific term metaverse Mm -hmm. is because they think that if you have a virtual marketplace that's entirely in the VR space, 
people won't need to use their dollar bills, and then your Dogecoin will suddenly be worth billions. Right, right. Um, yeah, it's it's all just a right. lot. <laughs> but, the, but, but, like, there is no total VR. If there is going no. to be a metaverse, there will be ten metaverses, you know? And they'll all be controlled by different corporations, and they'll all be competing with each other. And, I mean, you know, that's what we hope for, but as we've seen, like, the U.S. antitrust laws might as well be toilet paper because, like, media conglomeration is only, you know, increasing. Yeah, but it's it's never increasing to the point where there's literally one company. If anything, there's a duality. I mean, there's hasn't... Pepsi and Coke, you know? Like... You'd be able guess, to choose between guess, Matrix A and Matrix B. I, right, that's all exactly. Okay, I think I think you're right there. I think that is that is sort of the necessary um, the necessary false binary of capitalism. Right. You know? It's choice, the myth of choice, which is what right. which is what the Matrix is all about as well. Yeah. You know. Right. They're they're saying here, Neo, go make your choice. Either kill all of humanity. Or kill the Matrix and still kill all of humanity. We've given you this choice because we know exactly what you're going to do. That's the system. Right. Um, you know, that, so they give you the illusion of choice and free will mixed and, with and all they, this destiny stuff. Right. And they sort of try to talk about that in Resurrections, um, you know, and be very meta about it. Right. It's like, oh, yeah, the blue pill and the red pill. But, like, it's I know binaries false are false. Yeah. yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> Binaries. <laughs> it's just like, okay. Yeah, it's the yeah. gender agenda. <laughs> it's, um, you know. It's interesting that they would have this movie be their big flagpole while also doing a big um, Harry Potter reunion that notably <laughs> excludes from their advertising J.K. Rowling. Uh, well, she's not in the... In the thing. In the thing. Yeah. Right. But, like, I just think it's interesting that they, they've they made that choice that they're, you know, that they've, they've, they've found a, a good way to maintain this IP, but, but they're still coming out with a movie that she wrote. Like, they're oh, trying yeah, to hide she, that she's part of the process. Exactly. And that's the thing, is, like, she profits from everything Harry Potter related, right. which is, you right. know, the whole... So you can say that she's not there, but she's, she's there. <laughs> She's In making spirit. money, and then she's using that money to fund anti-trans agendas. Right, exactly. <laughs> so, sorry, Harry Potter. Uh, but. <laughs> um, yeah. I I don't know if there's a conclusion to, to this, <laughs> because no story has a conclusion anymore. Nothing ever ends. COVID will rage forever. Right. Oh, my God. Um, but... We, we will continue to think about and talk about the metaverse as it relates to the metaverse of Warner Brothers. <laughs> and because it's it's still coming, you know, this stuff is always right. coming. Right. Um, uh, I mean, David, are you hopeful for the future? Are you a techno pessimist? No. I'm I'm yeah, I'm I'm a techno pessimist. But I I think that that dichotomy like ceases to exist. The, the techno pessimism, techno optimism. Like Elon Musk believes that like AI is going to destroy the world. He's still making it happen. You know? Like well, he's still trying he's, to make it a reality. So Because he's people, into the Roko's Basilisk like bullshit. But that's what I'm saying, right? Like he's an idiot. But he <laughs> thinks that AI will destroy the world. Yet he believes that it still must be something that we actively pursue and do nothing to stop. People who think that VR is a dystopia, people who read Snow Crash, for example, which is a dystopian mm -hmm. novel, like, mm -hmm. they still want it to happen. They want the US dollar to collapse. And they mm -hmm. just want to be one of the people who's, like, working with the Yakuza to, you know, kill Johnny Mnemonic or whatever. They just want to be right. part of the ruling class right. in that dystopia. So... right. There's no escape from our <laughs> fictionalized sci-fi universes because people are actively trying to make them happen even when they think they suck. Right. Yes. I I think I think that's true. Um it, it's crazy to me that I did not think of this 
a particular example earlier, but have you ever, um, I have to look up who the author is. Have you ever read the book Vert? No, no, I haven't. It's by Jeff Noon. Um, I read it a long time ago. Uh, and it's like a 90s uh, science fiction novel. Um, okay, so it's it's about this sort of alternate reality that you get by basically doing this drug trip, but it's like a shared reality that you can right. all sort of go into together. So, you know, it's sort of like pre-VR A consensual VR. hallucination, which is what, that's also the, that's the word that they used to describe the Matrix in Neuromancer. But yeah, continue. Right. And, you know, sort of spoilers for this book. Uh, if you, I, I do recommend you read it. Um, cause I, I found it very interesting. Uh Um, at the end of the book, um, you sort of find out that maybe the book itself was also, you know, all this constructive narrative, um, like that this whole narrative you just finished with its ups and downs and catharsis and, uh, struggle, like, Right. Maybe that was all simulated as well. It's like and the I think, movie version of Total Recall, where at the, by the end you don't really know if if Arnold Schwarzenegger imagined the whole plot of the movie. Right, but I think it's also saying that that doesn't matter, you know, right. because the the feelings and the experiences that occurred felt real and that you joined these characters and your experience of reading this narrative and participating in it um, is no less real. And I think I think that's sort of something that is missing from a lot of these, like, what is reality narratives, you know? Well, because we're still obsessed with it. It's still something, it's something we're born thinking about, you know, just right, like, but like what no is one's... real and what is fiction. <laughs> And but what no is one, fake news? No one, <laughs> yes. I, I, so I think that's part of it. I think we're obsessed with this insidious idea that someone's trying to pull one over on us, you know? Which like, they are. Right. But I think there are... <laughs> like, we consent to storytelling all the time in our daily lives, you know? No, I know. I think that is what's so insidious about it. <laughs> That's like, <laughs> this is my perspective. Not I'm not saying you should have this perspective. But, you know, we all construct our own realities. That's, right. like, what postmodernism is. Yes. It's, it's that we have our social media bubbles and our news bubbles and our f- circles of friends. And through them, we construct an idea of truth that is pretty much unique to our own subjectivity. We don't, mm-hmm. we don't have any access to an objective reality or even to someone else's subjectivity, you know? Mm-hmm. So when I hear people say, like, I just don't think vaccines work, like, I cannot access their reality. It is totally fake to me. But to them, my reality is also, like, this simulation created from mainstream news and whatever. And they're right. I don't have any, like, actual perceived evidence of anything that's going on in the world from my eyeballs. It's all mediated. It's all controlled by a system of information. That doesn't mean that there is no truth, but Mm -hmm. it means that my life is a simulation. I live in the matrix, but so does everybody. There's nobody right. who's and escaping we all, it. And we all lived in the matrix before the matrix existed. Of course. that's But that's why the matrix film was made. It was made right. because somebody wrote a book, Arthur C. Clarke. No, Philip K. Dick <laughs> is believes that we are actually living in a computer simulation right now. Like, that's what he talked about in, mm-hmm. like, lectures and stuff. That was his, mm-hmm. like, religion. And he wrote books about people being trapped in simulations. Mm-hmm. And then Neuromancer came out and took all the Philip K. Dick tropes and made them, like, cyberpunky And cyberpunk right. and Blade Runner and all of these popular, you know, media representations of a dystopian future wherein simulation has replaced reality. And then the Matrix comes out and says, wake up, sheeple, take the red pill. You are living in a simulation. And everyone goes, yeah, I, I vibe with I that. I am. <laughs> that shit is vibes. But, but I'm saying even prior to this, like, the, 
Like, people in the 1700s were living in a simulation. No, I don't think that's true. I think they were, David. What are things mediated through in the 1700s? They're mediated through, like, the Bible, their priest, you know, like, you, you know, through, like, the narratives of, like, people telling stories around a fire, like... Exactly. How is that less simulated, you know? Like, I think... Because, because that is, like, in a world where those things cannot actually control your life because you're not getting all of your information through that you're getting all of your information through like the workaday realities of life i don't know but like i i think people it, I, I just think we have always quote-unquote lived in a simulation it's just what structures underpin that simulation have changed drastically and i think i i don't know i disagree I disagree with this point i think it's a mm. it's a it's a product of postmodernism. it didn't even exist under modernism really I, well i don't like think in the enlightenment the... when people were talking about discovering things through scientific like processes most yeah. of that stuff did not reach you know whoever joe schmo they would just buy the product of whatever that you know scientific reasoning was but now we have information at our fingertips everything is available to us everything is mediated and all of our interactions are told through not just like the fact that things are mediated but they're told through the visual medium of film which is i think more of a hyper reality it's a it's a it's a representation of reality that's exaggerated it's more hyper reality than reading a book <laughs> Mm-hmm. which you know is your imagination. It's a it's a voluntary imagination. I I I agree that the the level and sort of the abstractions are more visible now, uh-huh. I think. But I think that in a way they have always existed. Sure. Sure. Yeah. I mean there's definitely yeah, no one has ever had a access to objective truth. You're right. Right. I just think for me, like, mm-hmm. watching a reality show and having to determine, is this reality show reality? <laughs> that is a new thing. That's something sure. we invented. That's part of post-modernity. And also, the fact that we no longer have the grand narratives of the Enlightenment, even. You know, the ideas of objective truth and rationality and, you know... uh but those were were stories we were telling ourselves anyway. Right, but at least we had those stories. Now we don't have those. Everyone is allowed to have their own version of of, of a you know a subjective truth. Everything mm-hmm. is splintered and fractured, and everything that we do is mediated by advertising and by you know. The, the commercial aspects of, of human interaction. Mm-hmm. And so I just think like there is something fundamentally different that exists is just in the last 50 years, just in the last 40 sure. years. Yeah. That is the result of mass communication becoming so readily available to every human being on earth. Mm-hmm. Or That's well, my take. yeah. Or to, to most human beings on earth and no, but that... every human being is exposed to advertising. Every sure. single one. Even if you live in the mountains, you know, you you are somehow going to be getting an ad somewhere that's going to say, you know, buy more oil something. or something. I don't know. Right. Right. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, so what is the Matrix selling us, David? What is Matrix Resurrection selling us? <sighs> Trans us? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I do. um, the Matrix is Finally, selling... Finally, some good fucking food. No. Um, the Matrix is selling the Matrix, which is, yeah. you know, it's the biggest trick of late-stage capitalism and of post-modernity is the idea that we can just sell an, a totally empty signifier, an NFT, mm-hmm. of an object that you would have purchased when you were younger, yeah. which has sign value... But it has no use value and it has Mm -hmm. no intrinsic value whatsoever. It's just the exchange value of you're willing to pay this much money to be able to tell people that you watched The Matrix Resurrections and that you have a take. 
Yeah. Yeah. And that's it. And that's our take on Matrix Resurrections. Uh, yeah. Which we... (laughs) Which we have because of the social value that is carried by us paying for HBO Max. Or getting it from our parents. (laughs) The true millennial experience. (laughs) Um, I guess next time we'll be doing uh, another Standing Stanley Tucci. Um... Mm which uh, I guess is no less postmodern to have a whole podcast dedicated to, to Stanley Tucci, but it's certainly less of a simulation because we're really getting the real truth about the Tooch. So check us out <laughs> next week. Bye-bye. Bye.